commission meeting. Would you please rise and join me for the Pledge of Allegiance? I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Will the clerk please call roll? Bartos? Present. Bender? Present. Berlin? Here. Golick? Here. Lesh? Here. Mansfield? Here. Church? Here. Scaljack? Here. Vita Cloth? Here. Thank you. Next item on the agenda is the approval of our October 5th, 2022 meeting minutes. Unless there's any comments or uh, corrections that need to be made, I would make a motion to approve. Hey, the Greg, just oh, one, go ahead. Yep. I had one thing that jumped out at me. Um, for uh, going over here to Mr. Holub, he had, there was an, on the second page under B, talking about the term um, or residency requirements. It says that uh, Mr. Holub said a two-year residency requirement allows enough time for a person to set up residency in the city and run for office without knowing the city or the history. Just kind of read a little wonky to should, me, and I couldn't. Should say does not probably. Yeah, right? I was. I just wanted to confirm that's what you meant. Yeah. Okay. Good touch. So, Tammy, if you could just make add that does not instead of does. And that was on page two. Page. Page two, two. section B. Page three. Section page. I'm sorry. Page three, yes, page three, section B. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, any other corrections that anyone needs? I don't think there was anything. Okay, with that, again, I'll make a motion then uh, to approve the October 5th, 2022 meeting minutes with Mr. Bender's uh, last um, correction. And do I hear a second? Second. And second, um, would the clerk please call roll? Bartos? Yes. Bender? Yes. Berlin? Yes. Golick? Yes. Lesh? Yes. Mansfield? Yes. Church? Yes. Skaljack? Yes. Vita Clock? Yes. Thank you. Motion passes. Nine yeas, no nays. Um, next are just uh, real brief chairman's comments. Um, one thing for uh, this evening, obviously, it's a little bit better sound system um, than what we had in the lower level. Um, I know that there was some comment um, from some of the folks who were trying to listen the last meeting on the streaming. Um, the, the sound system was not coming through clearly. So again, whenever you do speak, just you know, kind of move your microphone in a little bit closer to you um, so that the folks listening and, and watching online can can hear clearly um, and then uh, just a couple other things um, we have as you've all um, received here we've received some written comments from uh, city council and from our various department heads um, and thank you for for um, providing that information department heads and council members who've done so um, and then again a lot of that will be discussed um, by the council or by the department heads here uh, this evening when they give their presentations. Um, I don't believe there's been anything new uh, added in from the public. Uh, Tammy, I don't think there was anything, correct? Okay, so again, if anything comes in from the public, uh, Tammy and Kristen will, will get that information over uh, to us prior to any of our meetings. So nothing uh, further from the public as of uh, this moment. Um, and again, um, we have reviewed at the last meeting articles one through four, and there's a handful, about five items that um, we've noted down here for future discussion and or for um, Law Director Maddie to um, 
give us some more information on and he will be uh, presenting some of those uh, those items here this evening when he gives his report um, so that's all I really have on on our comments uh, here uh, before we get into the meeting portion um, and then uh, because of that we'll move on on our um, agenda to our discussion of article 5 sections 1 through 6 article 5 is the administrative officers departments boards and commissions um, and just so we're all aware the will our next meeting we will go over the second portion of article 5 which is our boards and commissions and we'll um, have those interviews with those um, chair chairpersons for those and uh, go for that discussion but this evening we will have our interviews and discussions with uh, finance director public safety director service director law director and our clerk of council um, so with that we'll move into um, article 5 section 1 the general provisions um, does anybody have any questions comments suggestions on anything um, regarding section one general provisions Sorry. yes Go ahead, Ms. Lesh. Um, I was just wondering how the changes of the new departments um, or the abolishing of existing departments was communicated to residents um, mayor or council do you have anything on that uh, sure how um, how are any changes the establishment of new departments or the abolishment of existing departments how is that communicated to residents put forth on the web page or it would be it's a matter of public record in a council meeting or on an agenda um, or it could appear now in these days Facebook but there has not been in the years that I have been mayor there's not been one time that council has abolished a committee uh, council did create the uh, telecommunications commission which really started out as the uh, cable TV committee, uh, cable advisory committee is what it was called originally. Uh, there were public hearings regarding it. Uh, a committee was put together. We were able to negotiate a franchise statewide. That's when the government had the authority and the power to have franchise agreements with cable television. Uh, no other commission or no one was abolished nothing else was created in the years that I've been there but again the, the, the public finds out in a variety of ways um, and if there would be an, an abolishment of a commission like that I would I'm sure that the council would have public hearings regarding or a public hearing regarding it would be on an agenda and, and the public would know but, you know, again, if you read this, uh, the charter created those commissions that you, we have now. Council has the right to add or subtract if they wish. It just gives the authority to council to, to do so. And it really makes it seem like, you know, council should only do this if it is absolutely vital to the operation of the city. Um, we have a human services advisory board. It was not uh, created by charter. It was created by council. 
It started out as the senior citizen board that was previous to me being mayor uh, back in the 70s. It, it took place. The Recreation Commission started here originally, so it was there. Planning was here. Board of Zoning Appeals were here. Um, Charter Review Commission was here. But there's not been anything since then other than those two that I mentioned to you that have been created uh, created by council. Just, I was just curious if there was a process just yes, based on the reading, so thank you. Sure, and again, it's by necessity. Sure, of course. I, uh, Mayor or finance director, um, I have a question just to discuss, because again, I, I, I vaguely recall at the last charter review, the, the second paragraph in particular for the director of finance, if I recall correctly, former director of finance was looking to possibly um, delete um, the language of making the finance director clerk of council as well in, I guess, in an emergency or whatever the issues may be. I, I, I don't recall the specifics of it, um, but if any of you guys could give a little history or background on that, either mayor or finance director, and thoughts on on that? Well, I'll give you the background first and okay. yield then to the finance director. Um, they did that because the government was so small. Again, remember, this was 1956 when the, when the charter was, uh, was created and then adopted uh, thereafter. Um, at that point in time, the position of finance director was part-time. Uh, they were serving with a treasurer before that, then they had a finance director. So as their, their um, meetings and agendas grew and their finances grew, uh, the finance director was also clerk of council. And then at one point, the assistant finance director was clerk of council. That was the last time that uh, that happened and that was after uh, I was in office and uh, a young lady had been acting. She was uh, assistant finance director and was clerk of council, was paid as you know, one full-time job and then after that we've not done that or even thought of it since that time okay. my comments on that issue were um, I think Tammy would tell you the same thing that her job's a full-time job sure um, plus she does a lot of work through there so it would be a task in itself to be able to uh, manage both positions at the same time but if that's um, the charter of the municipality then you know mm -hmm. you put forward that valiant effort to get it both done okay if you remember mary scullin was the yeah. first one that was hired as an independent with part-time and then eventually went full-time after that and it, it has developed into more than a sometimes more than a full-time job sure i guess again my my only reason for bringing that up was you know does it make sense to potentially delete that from the charter that language of having finance director potentially be the clerk i don't know just something again that was brought up at the last mm -hmm. review in fact i think i don't know if that one i don't think it made the final cut list if i recall correctly i have to look back but okay it might be um, confusing to the electorate yeah but you know it, when it's brought to a vote but it's up to the yeah. To your wish. Again, it's just something that 
you know, maybe we can look back onto the meeting minutes notes on that one and just see if it's worth something you guys want to talk about any further on that one or not. Again, it's minor in, in scale. Um, if I may, one, yep. one other uh, key component of, of this section is the fact that they made the mayor, who again was, was a part-time position until, you know, 74, um, they made the mayor, when they made the mayor full-time, they also then said that the mayor <clears throat> could not hold another position um, in the government, could not have another full-time job uh, in the government, and, and or if you read it, it's a full-time job in the city. Right. So uh, that put that, that made the final full-time mayor, and that is how we ended up with with the mayor being full-time and, and it being stated that that was for real full-time. It wasn't just, right. you know, by, by words. Hey, Greg, yep. I find it, I'm glad you brought it up because it's interesting in this paragraph that it's here, right? Instead of being under the director of, of finance that they may, it's over in this general provision section. So my question is, is I don't know how much responsibility we have to clean up the charter or just make sure that the right stuff is in the charter. Um, you know, and I guess anybody could be in any position given the right situation, so may, but I just don't know how that fits here versus under the director of finances, roles and responsibilities or why it was put where it was put. Yeah, I guess probably that it was probably put there because as the mayor said that those positions were part-time part -time. at, at the time that it was written. Um, so again, I only brought it up as something that, you know, just maybe look back into the minutes and, you know, we can circle back on that if it's something that, you know, whether it's a cleanup or moving it or leaving it be, again, it's a relatively minor matter, but I know it was brought up at the last one and they talked about it, so um, we can circle back on that one. Okay, um, if there's nothing else for section one, um, we'll move on to section two, which is the director of finance, and we'll have... Director of Finance, um, give her presentation. Thank you, Chairman Skowczyk. Thank you. I presented a memo um, to the commission in response to a few questions that they had proposed um, to give you a summary of the finance department and its interactions with other with other departments. Uh, we have four members of the finance department: the director, the assistant director, the supervisor of payroll and personnel, and a finance clerk. Um, the director and assistant director are appointed and report directly to city council. Um, the director also serves as a financial advisor to council and the mayor and performs um, various things that the mayor ha uh, may request of the finance director. Um, the finance director and the service director assist the mayor in preparing the annual budget. Um, the information that is used um, to go into the budget is prepared by department heads or whoever they assign that to. And then it is put together, presented to the mayor uh, for review and consideration um, to balance the budget before it's presented to city council. Um, most legislation that the finance department presents to city council is in regards to the budget, um, medical benefits, Contracts that might uh, relate directly to the finance department, such as an investment advisor or um, 
contracts with the auditor's, auditor's office for auditing services. Um, lastly, the finance director also serves as the as a voting member in the treasurer slash secretary of the Community Improvement Corporation for Brexville. In that role, the treasurer is responsible responsible for keeping the books of the CIC, doing the annual report to our state's office and any required IRS filings. The director also serves as a member of the city's record records commission. Our interactions with departments can change throughout the day. Sometimes our, our supervisor of payroll and personnel can be meeting um, with the mayor and an employee about a potential retirement situation and what the options are. It could be dealing with the director, um, the service director regarding utilities and a high utility bill or a notice that um, there may be a water leak somewhere. It could be something as simple as that. Uh, we are currently in a software upgrade where the assistant director of finance is acting as a project manager for that for the entire city. It's an ERP system. So there's many interactions that we have with other departments um, more than just recording a receipt or cutting a check um, would involve. We do um, take great pride in performing our work accurately, honestly, and efficiently. We continually strive to cross-train employees on functions, so we're never at a fault if someone needs to be out of the office or, um, God forbid, an emergency happens and they can't make it in to process payroll. We still need to get the job done, so we definitely strive to cross-train our employees to make sure um, the task can still be completed. You also asked if we had any concerns with the charter or if our day-to-day -day practices align with the charter and we didn't have any specific, specific feedback uh, for the commission on those items. I did pull the other people in my office to see if they noted something. I had them review the charter to see if everything was in line with uh, their duties as well. So, okay. Does anybody have questions for the finance director? I have one. What's the minimum qualifications to be finance director? Um, I'd have to pull the specific job description. It's not, you're not required to have a CPA, uh, but there are certifications for governmental account accountants that go well with the position. Okay, should those qualifications be part of the charter or? I think those are just fine as a job description as opposed to being in the charter. That's, that, that's my opinion on it. it. I think you start getting down into the weeds a little too much. I think the job description probably handles that. And, and again, that's up to council to decide, you know, when they're interviewing and, um, you know, putting together who, they, who they're looking to appoint and put in that position. Okay. And is the job description, Eric, just to go along with that, is it set by council, or who is the job description set by? The mayor, the council, and where are they stored and, and kept? Meaning for certain things in here, we do have minimum requirements. For other things, we don't. So the question I just have is? Um, job descriptions, this one included, in all other positions, um, are housed by the supervisor of payroll and personnel. They could be modified. 
Um, if a director is requesting of the mayor, like the service director needs a change or a new position added, it would a new job description would be developed and approved by the mayor. Of course, then a, a pay rate would have to be established and that goes to council via legislation. Um, but from time to time, um, you know, maybe someone's job description has expanded or narrows um, sometimes and that would get adjusted on their job description as well. Okay. There's usually an all-inclusive clause at the end of mm -hmm. the job description though. So are you the one who says the job description for your assistance or does council do that? Um, I haven't changed them since I've been here so I don't I don't know that process but I'll wages and I would assume job descriptions would be discussed with council if, if not everyone the finance chair and the president all right thank you mm -hmm. I have a I quick have, oh, go ahead I just had a question and I might be jumping a little ahead but I I know that um, many of the departments and some of the discussions we'll have later are about purchasing thresholds and how that should be how does that coordinate with you like from your perspective so i operate as a department just like any other department who's su submitting a requisition for a purchase um, because i'm the finance department and not the purchasing department so those controls um, i believe are resting in the purchasing department okay. um, when a requisition is entered okay so then you feel like your role then is just it's setting the budget for the purchasing department to be able to for every department get that right okay. yeah my question is going to be along those lines actually um the budget you mentioned the budget I, correct me if i'm wrong i remember 55 million is that about the approximate annual yeah, budget overall a lot of that's capital projects okay um qu question being you know some of the other department heads have submitted some letters suggesting that we raise the $3,000 threshold up and this is something kind of coming into this whole process that I heard from city employees and residents that it'll probably come up and you know we're living with high high inflation right now so $3,000 today is not what it was two years ago so um, I know that you and your comments said no recommendations to the charter but from your seats uh, Laura you know if we were to look at increasing that to a five six seven thousand dollar number what are your thoughts feelings how would that you know create efficiencies or creates uh, issues? Yes, thank you for that question. Um, when I hear feedback after an internal control review is done from an external auditor, the auditor state's office, you know, usually I hear you're a lot more strict than other places that they are going to. Um, on our level is about 500 going to the mayor and 3,000 going to council. Um, so it's a good consideration. Um, when you raise it, you're just, losing that lack of knowledge with city council that's how i see it in my eyes um i heard something that there wasn't a high volume of transactions compared to overall um, how many purchase orders are issued so i would take that into consideration if it's a small portion that are going to city council and city council um, finds that valuable to them then mm -hmm. you know i wouldn't change it if city council found it valuable okay thank you Laura, in the finance department, you've got your your payroll uh, folks as well, um, a number of um, department heads, and um, I think maybe someone here on the commission had asked about 
especially in today's day and age and with you know the size of the amount of employees that the city has as far as um, um, you know the human resources side of things being currently handled by that person within the finance department and whether that makes sense on a go forward basis or if that's be something that maybe starts its own department so to speak out of the finance department and you have a an HR specialist that or an HR you know head who's handling all of those types of matters and employee you know sensitive issues um, you know just what's your feeling on that um, in general and then specifically how maybe those things have um, been handled you know here in the city as it's currently constructed sure um, yes it could be I have a payroll person who's only processing a payroll clicking a button, sending it through. Um, that's not how our, our department functions currently. We are self-insured for medical insurance. Um, we handle all the workers' comp claims and the management of those. Um, and we consult with the mayor, and at times we need council's approval of items. So yeah, I could see if you had a separate HR department where, where some things would move out. Um, currently, if we need any legal advice or um, we're concerned about are we paying somebody in the military properly according to the higher advice code we're consulting with legal on those um, items so um, i think the benefit that a separate hr department has is more of the legal aspect of it but we currently function that way with reaching out to dave maddie's office okay. so a quick question how many employees does the city of brexville currently have full and part-time Guess. It's about full time, about 160. Add a couple, about 210 uh, part time employees. And of that group, the majority of that 210 is through the community center. Part time lifeguards, right. fitness, and so forth. So if I. So if I look at it, we're a $55 million revenue company with 200 employees, a mix of part time and full time. And if I understood it correctly, HR roles fall underneath the finance department, which is four people primarily with a financial background. Is that accurate, Laura, just so I have a better? Yeah, I mean, our uh, supervisor of payroll and personnel, you know, does trainings to keep up on items. Um, we have Magis Advisory Group who helps us um, as our broker for self-insurance you know, okay. for our claims management, for workers' comp, we have a TPA. You know, there's other resources other than the one person sitting at that desk. Okay, so quick question about um, human resources in general for a $55 million revenue company is, say an employee has, a, an, employee has an issue of some type, mm -hmm. whether I don't like my boss, I don't feel like I've been fairly treated, I, don't, I didn't get the raise that I wanted, whatever it is, who do they go see? What's the, if, if I'm the lowest person, if I'm a lifeguard at the, at the swimming pool and I've worked my way up the ladder but I'm still kind of feeling like I'm just getting brushed off, who's the person that they go talk to? Yeah, I think everyone would handle that differently, whether it's their own supervisor or another supervisor within the same building you know that they're aware of sometimes it's a different means for everyone um, some people go directly to the mayor himself if they're under the mayor's uh, one of the mayor's department the finances under council um, 
So I guess it just depends on the comfort level of that employee. Sometimes they come directly to our supervisor of payroll and personnel, um, and we try to assist them that way, you know, to create the conversation for them. So, so there's no set protocol? There's no set protocol. On. There's no, it sounds like there's no one person to go to. It's just this is falling under a payroll person. Like, I, I, I mean, she does a lot more than I understand. I understand, I right? But as a, that. I'm thinking of the city as a business, and maybe I should or shouldn't. But if someone has an issue, there is no one running human resources for the city. I mean, I look at Jerry, I look at you as the CEO, right? I look at the council as a board of directors. Um, I look at the accounting and finance department as the finance department. But, you know, it, it was brought up and I didn't know there wasn't an HR. We don't expect people to run to the CEO all the time or go to accounting and finance departments for HR. So, I, Greg, I think it's something, I don't know how we bring it up or... Yeah, I mean, it's... It, it may not be a charter issue, but it could yeah. be a city issue. I mean, a lot of organizations have companies they align with that there's an 800 number you can call if you're having issues at home and things like that that you know you can probably we do as well them. okay I mean, we um can do a soft referral to our uh, employee assistance program if yeah, someone okay. you know if someone hears that an employee's having trouble you know we'll reach out to them and maybe do a soft referral um, or have their supervisor do that with them so that can happen you know mm -hmm. we do have those resources in okay. place mayor I, I think it should be said that the young lady that's uh, doing our work now, uh, she comes from an HR background. Uh, the young lady that performed those duties previously came from an HR background. She had been an HR advisor and, and did payroll in other cities. Um, are they specifically HR people though? No, not really. They're more, you know, payroll and personnel type of backgrounds. They uh, had served in municipal governments for a length of time. Today it's starting to change and you're getting more professionals coming to work for cities in HR and specifically in HR. And I think eventually the city will grow into that. And when that becomes necessary and, and council and, and the administration look at that and see that that is a, a necessary aspect, I think we'll move in that direction. Um, there are some changes coming, and, uh, and uh, the young lady that is working for us now is, is thinking about retiring. And if she does, I think that when the uh, next administration or when we take over uh, uh, a, a new person in that uh, position, they may look to adding an HR title person and someone that's trained strictly as an HR and having someone do the payroll. Many of the cities today have their payroll done outside, mm -hmm. done by POLA, ADP, and their other uh, agencies. We do all of our payroll in-house. So that's why you have more emphasis on the, the payroll aspect of it. But if someone has a problem and, and they need assistance, this young lady is doing an, an outstanding job. Um, it's well taken care of. I don't want you to think that. Uh, HR is not neglected, it is not. Uh, she does a, a wonderful job in taking care of the needs of our employees. And a lot of employees do go to her. And I, the only reason I'm bringing it up is because it was mentioned that it, 
might be a better option. And, you know, I look as a payroll as a very, 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 very small function of human resources. So it, it's no different than a, a pounds payable, except you're paying different people. So I think, especially in today's age, there's a lot of places that you could step in things that you don't want to step in that having someone who has a director position might be a good offering. And, you know, when I had my company, our, payroll, our, our payables person was our payroll person because it's accounting-like function, just making sure the hours are correct. That I mean, our payroll function within finance, we have to do pension reporting to mm -hmm. the state pension boards. We have to make sure when new hires are brought on, if they're previously retired from a pension system, we have to report that. There's a lot more than, you know, so many hours and you get paid X amount. We have to make sure we're paying in accordance with our union agreements. We've talked about going outside to a company like Ahola. It, There's the more amount to of it. time that we would have to spend to make sure they're paying people in accordance with our union agreements, our codified ordinances, wasn't worth it. You know, it was just, we were going to have to double check everything. Like, no, no, I get, so I get it. And that, that causes a little bit more concern. And I'll, I'll stop, Greg, so we can go on. But it sounds like they have a lot to do as it relates to payroll. Can they do the separate function for 200 people? That's, it's, and it's something, maybe that's a council issue, not a charter issue. Maybe it's, like we talked about, creating a new mm -hmm. director of. The only time the charter review commission involved themselves in a department head or creating a department head was when we created the director of purchasing and created the purchasing department. Purchasing was under the service director and the person worked uh, for the service director. The service director was looked at the purchasing agent. Uh, that was changed and we created the, uh, through a ballot issue that was on the, uh, on the charter review uh, created that department. So you could create a department under the charter or council could create a position within okay. finance because they are over finance directly. They appoint the finance director. Finance director is accountable directly to council, not the mayor. I don't appoint the finance director. Council does. So council could Position. And could council create a director position that is a peer of the other directors without a charter change? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Right there. Yep. Okay. Anybody have any other questions or comments in the finance section? I have just one more, please. Mm -hmm. um, the charter says that you will have the right to audit and examine the books of any department. Um, how often do you do that, and how do you determine how frequently you do that? Um, I try to use reasonable controls. Um, currently, we go out and audit a surprise audit. Uh, I'd hate to say audit because audit is a formal process. We do an internal review. Well, there's okay. reports that go along with audits. We do an internal review of petty cash. So I'm going to mayor's court. I'm going to the building department. I'm checking all the cash drawers up at community center and human services. And they don't know I'm coming before or someone in my office. So it's a surprise. We're making sure they have what they should have on file. So it could be something as simple as that, that I'm going out to other departments and looking. Um, we go and check the confidential fund over at the police department, um, see how much cash they have on hand, things like that. So it could be a, 
a lot of reasons why I'm going to another department and looking. We reconcile credit card receipts for the community center and that is numerous transactions in one given day, any given day. And um, sometimes we get to go into their software system and say, what happened? You know, I, I'm not able to trace this to that. And we have to ask them for assistance if we need to. And, you know, so there's a lot of time I'm touching other people's books that's not necessarily just in my department. Okay, and that would also, you, I assume you do inventories every once in a while of, say, like the service department? Um, my department does not do inventory. We do capital assets. Okay. So anything over $5,000 uh, we keep track of for financial reporting. So what about less expensive assets? Um, that's an inventory process. Mayor, who's handling that right it, now? It is done through uh, the service director and uh, Kristen Corey. Okay, thank you. Hey, Greg, I do have a question. It, in, in Section 2B, it says that the Director of Finance shall establish and maintain accounting procedures necessary for keeping complete financial records. What does the city do as far as keeping the processes in place, the documentation, so that when we have a turnover within the, the department, or, um, so that someone else could pick up. I have like, a binder you? about twice this size that <laughs> has topical things A through double Z, you know, that tells you how to do month end reconciliations versus recording a receipt. So when my account clerk is out because she's sick at the end of the month and I have to get all these receipts in, I pull open my book, I return to receipts, and, you know, I get it done. So was that in place before you arrived too? So when you took over the position, did you yes. have an operating manual for the Department yes. of Finance? Okay, thanks. Anything further in that section? In this section in general? Or talking the, the finance section. Yeah, I, ha I have a couple things I knocked down. It says that the director of finance is appointed by council. Um, and I noticed the different directors, there's a different process as far as appo uh, appointed by the mayor, approved by council. The director of finance is appointed by council without the mayor's input. Um, so I was just wondering about, like, how that works and the inconsistencies of the various directors and why the director of finances is appointed by council versus appointed by the mayor who as i said i see as the ceo yeah it's it's really a it's a separation of the powers basically so that the the mayor and his office aren't you know the finance director is basically the check and balance okay. on the rest and therefore they're under council directly directly um, and same thing, law director. They're, they're really not inconsistencies. They're done for for a reason, and that that's basically the reason. For Brexville. For Brexville, yeah, right. for Brexville. Yeah. The mayor points them, and the council points different ones. Perfect. Yeah. The, the, the charter language that is used for charters is we have a weak mayor form of government. Some cities, an example, Rocky River, the mayor appoints all the directors, all the boards and commission members. That's a strong mayor form of government. This form of government has a number of directors appointed by council. And as the chairman said, that's a check and balance that people decided way back when and it's kept in place. So we serve at the pleasure of council, we being the finance director, mm -hmm. the law director, and the city engineer. Uh, in some communities, that's not the case. They serve at the pleasure of the mayor. And then some communities, as, as with Solon, will have a mayor appointment and council has to confirm. 
So that's a middle of the road type of charter. So it all depends on the philosophy of first when the charter was formed and then as it develops through the years. Perfect, thank you. Mm -hmm. Anything else, anyone? Thank you, Laura, appreciate all the info. Moving on, uh, section three, Director of Public Safety, which is Mayor Ruby. Thank you. Uh, the Director of Public Safety, or the Safety Director, uh, was put in the original charter with the intent that the mayor would have a safety director working for him that would oversee the police, the fire, the building department. But what happened after that, we only had one safety director for two years from the inception of the charter to today. Only been one person has ever been safety director in this community, mm -hmm. and it was a former mayor who was in, in, the, in the mid 60s. He only lasted two years in mayor fire. The safety director's position is the strength of the mayor. The finance director, I'm sorry, the uh, law director just said this is a weak mayor government. It is because of the lack of appointing authority, the lack of certain authority over some people that work with the administration, and also in the spending ability. The mayor is only allowed to spend up to a certain amount of money. It's a limited amount. But yet the mayor is required to estimate the revenues and expenditures work with the finance department in creating the budget, which we do every year. I will give full credit to the finance department. My job usually is they'll bring the budget to me and say, we need to cut two or three million out of the budget, or four million, would you do that? And then I go to work on that. But our department heads and I do get together, talk over the budget, and they walk into the room knowing what that is. As safety director, that is where the majority of my, my, I shouldn't say my, the mayor's input is given to this government. Having the authority over the police department, having the authority over fire, having the authority over the building department, they're all three part of the public safety departments of the city, keeping the peace and the welfare in mind of the community. The mayor also has the duties of seeing over recreation, which were given to the mayor later on, not the safety director. The mayor has a unique relationship with the service director in that the service director in the 50s and 60s was the power of the city. He was the full-time, or she was the full-time employee. Mayor was part-time. Service director, oversaw all of the spending, service director, bought the police cars, uh, dealt with, with just about everything, all over the buildings and so forth. And then eventually, it was to be given to the safety director, but no mayor wanted really to have a safety director. The charter started out with council had the ability to say, 
you're no longer safety director, Mayor. We're going to appoint a safety director. It could take the power away from the mayor. Politically, that had happened in threat only a couple times. But it never did really happen. The charter was changed to take that to a different level. The mayor can determine if the mayor feels he's not qualified or doesn't have the time and could ask that he appoint a safety director. There's no salary established. Uh, they're really, the only job description is with, within the, uh, uh, the charter. Uh, it's, it, again, it's never really been looked at in all these years. So what got to be a little difficult was as time went on and things started changing in the administration where we, we started bringing on new people. The old people were retiring. The people that my brother had hired and other mayors had hired and people that were working with me and uh, they were being replaced by new people. The issue came up, well, wait a minute. Does the mayor have the authority over the finance director? Can I tell the finance director what to do? Not really. Could I tell the service director who to hire and not to hire? Not really. And those things came up, even the law director. I had to go to council, as you remember, right. Greg, and say, I seek your authority to ask the law director to represent the city on this and this and that, or to represent or do something for the city. Didn't have that authority. So then in 2003's charter review, the charter listened to what I just said now, and I said back then as mayor, and they put it on the ballot to give that authority, but not take away any council's authority, just to create unilateral type authority. Still, the finance director is appointed by council. Still is directly to the council, but the mayor has the authority to go to the finance director and ask for certain things to be done. You don't have to ask council to ask the law director to represent the city. Now, but back to, two, and I got ahead of myself. Back in 2003, we went on the ballot and there was this big campaign that was run because of the fact that we were trying to change the Board of Zoning Appeals. There was a campaign out that the mayor's trying to grab all this power and take it away from council. Well, that was really not the mayor's intent. This is my intent, what the mayor's position intent. And everybody in the administration understood it, but it, they were defeated. Then in 2013, 10 years later, your leadership and others, um, it, it was correct and it was taken to the, uh, the electorate and it passed overwhelmingly. So the safety director um, and the mayor have certain relationships that are defined as a result of the change in the charter. Um, and that really works out well. Still the finance director is appointed by council the law director is appointed by council. The engineer is appointed by council. Most cities, that's not the way it is. It's usually the mayor who appoints those people, but in our city it works well. And as you said, it is a check and balance. 
So back to the director of public safety. The issue now um, that I think is there is, is there going to be a time when the mayor is going to be so preoccupied in other things that he'll need a director of public safety, like many communities do? I would say that's really pretty far off. Um, and if you take those duties and responsibilities away from the mayor, you're also taking away the mayor's ability to manage because he doesn't have a lot of that authority that, that the safety director does. I'm not recommending any changes in the way the director of public safety is written. We made those changes and uh, they impacted the mayor also. But so you understand as a, a group, I now, the mayor now, has the authority to say, hey council, you know, this is too much, I can't do this, or I shouldn't be doing this, or whatever the reason, and ask that a, a director of public safety be created and someone be hired. That came as a charter change also recently, Correct. last charter. So that was one thing that I thought was very important. The mayor had the authority to vacate the position if he wanted to, or she wanted to, rather than relying upon council to vacate the position. Now, can council vacate the position? Absolutely. Council can still take it away from the mayor if they, if they choose. But they have to have cause and it reads in there what, what, uh, what that's about. So um, that's basically it. The, the director of public uh, safety, I'm sorry, um, again, is the overall manager of the police department, overall manager of the fire department. Um, they come to the chiefs, come uh, to the mayor and ask for their budgets. Uh, the mayor helps them establish their budget, reviews their equipment. Um, looks at the efficiency of the officers, looks at the overall program, any policy changes or rules and regulation changes go through the safety director and then are passed on to city council. Um, so the safety director does have that management. Anything from my neighbor's not cutting the grass to my neighbor's got a loud, uh, loud radio, uh, which, you know, fall under the preview of the building department. Um, that is, again, where the uh, authority comes uh, for the mayor. And um, having the two doing that job is, is a good thing, in my opinion. It should stay that way. Um, and again, when I was running for mayor, I had been a policeman. So it was brought up about having a safety director uh, brought in, and one of the arguments was, well, Ruby's a, a policeman, we don't need a safety director, we don't have to spend our money, it's all part of that. Over the years, it, you know, it sort of developed like that. So, um, that's about all I have to say. If you have any questions, I'll answer them, but uh, I don't see any need, Mr. Chairman, for any changes in the Director of Public <coughs> Safety. We accomplished that in, in uh, 2013. Uh, unless, in the wisdom of the commission, they can read into this and maybe have some suggestions. Thank you. Any questions, comments on this section, Dan? 
Uh, question for you, Mayor Ruby. You know, um, first of all, just a more of a curiosity question, and, and I'm sure this changes from week to week, uh, but if you look over the course of a year or so, how much of your time would you say you're wearing your mayor hat versus your safety director hat? I'm sure there's a lot of overlap and gray area, but is it, I'm just kind of curious as to how you, how you see yourself allocating your time to those two different roles. Um, I, I would say that daily there is attention paid to each one of those departments that the safety director attends to. Mm -hmm. The remainder of the work that comes out of the mayor's office is seasonal. Like now, we're doing budget. We're doing negotiations with the one union we have. So I, I, I guess I would say it's probably 60-40. Okay. 60 safety director, 40% mayor. If you include with the mayor, uh, for years I did all of the economic development. Up until just this year, we hired another full-time person to do economic development and to do, you know, work with planning. Uh, before we had a part-time uh, economic person that helped out. But that was a limited amount of time. So economic development is a big uh, use of, of the mayor's time. Um, and then there are other things that the mayor does. Weddings, sure. attending events, attending council meetings, and all the, the formal and the formality type things that the mayor does. But again, I, a little longer than I wanted to answer it, but uh, Mr. Bender, the answer is, I would say about 60-40. Okay. Sometimes it could be 70-30. Right. We have a major event happen in town. It could be 100% safety director for days. Right. And uh, we've had that happen too. Yep. Um, but most of the time, it's about 64. Okay. And my other question I had jotted down, and you kind of addressed this already. You know, Section th uh, 3C talks about should the mayor determine that it's not in the best interest of the municipality for the mayor to serve as director of public safety, the director of public safety shall appoint shall be appointed by the mayor with the approval of council, um, which makes sense, you know, and I, I know you have got a background as a police officer and have done well in this capacity, but I'm thinking nine years down the road, maybe you're happily retired, someone gets selected as mayor of Brexville, and it comes to light pretty quickly that he or she is just not sufficient in this role, in doing both those roles. Maybe they're great at the economic development and everything else, but struggle in this capacity. You mentioned council would have the ability to take take that responsibility away from the mayor. How's that kind of play I, I, out? I hate to use the word take it away. Mm -hmm. uh, council has the ability to say to the mayor, we don't believe that you're able to hold this position and recommend to the mayor that he step aside as, and if it gets to it, they could, by a, a certain vote, I think it's five or whatever, six, maybe five, uh, they could ask that the mayor step down and Okay. They've always had that authority. What we added was the mayor could relinquish the position okay. and appoint someone else. And I'll give you another example, and I'll make it quick, as to why somebody maybe want to step down as mayor. We have civil service for our police and fire. Let's say the mayor 
and the police chief from civil service can't work together. As much as they try, they can't work together. And it really is to the detriment of the department and the city. There is a situation where the mayor might want to step aside, uh, or better yet, in the, in the fact that a mayor comes in, has no concept of a law enforcement or firefighting or whatever, and finds that they're just not able to manage, because their job is to manage, overall manage the department, they can step aside. Thank you. Any other questions or comments on this section or anything you think needs to be changed or looked at further before we move on to the next section? Okay. Thank you, Mayor. Um, moving on then, we have section four, which is the Director of Public Service. Mr. Whiting, our Service Director, is here and ready to present. Yes, sir. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Good to see you again. You too. The Service Department interacts with most departments on a very regular basis. The Service Director is responsible to manage and supervise the construction, improvements, and maintenance of all public works, public construction, buildings, grounds, cemeteries, and all other places. Also responsible for making the resurfacing and repairing and lighting of all streets in the city and all public places. Also responsible for collection and disposal of waste and preservations and maintenance of all municipal properties. I interact on a regular basis with City Council, the Purchasing Department, the Finance Department, the Fire Department, the Police Department, Human Services, Building and Recreation Departments. I have administrative duties that require me to attend various meetings, public contacts. I prepare the yearly road program with the assistance of my staff. I am also required to prepare all the equipment purchases for various city departments, employee supervision, prepare an annual report that's turned over to the mayor, and through a consortium, supply salt for the wintertime and asphalt for our road paving programs, and fuel for all city vehicles and also the um, um, making sure that that fuel is dispensed properly and, and recorded. Also responsible all year every day for refuse and recycle program, trash, recycling, appliance pickup on Fridays, Saturday recycling program. We prepare recycle grants for a variety of different uh, things that come to our attention. We have a senior pickup on Fridays. We coordinate with the solid waste district to drop off down in Garfield Heights all our hazardous waste that's picked up in the recycling program. And we're proud to say that our city has one of the highest totals in the, in the whole county. Service Department General in the spring, we do roadway, re roadway repairs, right-of-way repairs, and, and billing. Um, summer, summer, we do paving roads. We sweep the streets. We stripe the streets. We have a crack fill program. We cut grass on all city properties and medians. We maintain all city properties, stormwater basins, and headwall inspections throughout the city. And, and we do guardrail maintenance program and inspection. We do roadside litter pickup and maintain all the athletic fields in the city. In the fall, we cut grass. We have a leaf pickup program, which lasts several years. We're proud to say we picked up over 10,000 yards of leaves each season. Uh, we stake roadways for winter plowing, so we protect the, the sides of the roads and try and keep our plows within that certain area. In the winter, we plow and salt the roadways, clean sidewalks and parking lots. We inspect roadways for potholes and cold patch. We have an urban forestry department that we're very proud of. We plant and maintain beds on all city properties. We plant and trim trees in the right-of-way on city properties. We review building permits and plans for tree savings. We have an ash borer program. We have community activities that we're involved in. We 
prepared the downtown planters. We have a spring and fall tree planting program, which coordinates with our tree city for the 28th year. We coordinate with the beautification committee, which is a wonderful group on seasonal displays in the community garden and Arbor Day. We have a four person building engineering department. We maintain all mechanical rooms in city buildings, rooftop units, pool pack installation, maintenance and repairs. They also have assigned to them the traffic signal maintenance and, and, and sign department. We coordinate all major signal issues and projects through that department, sign maintenance and repairs. We prepare projects for bid and monitor contractors during new construction. We have a building maintenance department. We clean interior of all city buildings, our latest one being a two-thirds of an acre uh, world-class field house up at Blossom School. We order proper cleaning supplies for all the buildings and inspect buildings for cleanliness, clean locker rooms and showers and pool decks, areas and kitchens. Exterior maintenance, repair of all city buildings is responsible, responsibility of the service department, renovation projects, building and pavilion construction. We maintain three cemeteries, we cut grass, we enforce the cemetery rules and regulations, we care for the headstones, we prepare grants, which, which we just sent some folks down to Cincinnati to reconstruct headstones, we dig the graves and we're present at every funeral that happens at our cemeteries, we're also present at every cremation service, and we maintain the city records for all cemeteries. Vehicle maintenance department, our mechanics repair and maintain all city vehicles, service, police, fire, and human services, recreation, and horticulture. We consult on new purchases. We prepare documents for new service purchases. We do welding and fabrication projects. We have millions of dollars of equipment and we maintain it to the best of our abilities. Storm drainage is part of the service department. We inspect 57 sites prior to every rain event. We keep storm, storm drain clears and free of debris. We rebuild and inspect roadway catch basins. We repair storm lines and coordinate with the Cuyahoga County Sanitary Engineers, the sanitary and storm repairs. We coordinate the sinkhole program and also repairs with Cuyahoga County. We clean roadside ditches, and we have our own vector truck for storm sewer basin cleaning and jetting. We maintain the property at Blossom Hill with many buildings. We cut grass on the entire property, clean snow from roadways and sidewalks on the entire site, provide, provide support for our tenants of buildings and maintenance requests, conduct maintenance repairs on backpack lowers, weed whippers, and lawn maintenances in the Blossom Hill service garage, and we review and prepare leases for properties to presentation to city council. Capital projects, we consult with the administration and city council on priorities of projects. We obtain estimates, plans for projects, coordinate with finance department, and we manage properties until, manage projects until completion. We respond to all emergency situations, trees down, flooded roadways, dead animals in the streets, or flooded buildings. We assist the city departments in special events, uh, home days, Memorial Day parade, Christmas parade, that we assist the theater groups with, our with their presentations of the plays at the Old Town Hall. We put up Christmas decorations on city properties and we're proud to say we hang the American flags downtown Brexville on the CEI polls. I believe the service department is effective and supports all other departments in the city in many various ways as described in, in my presentation. My duties overlap with other departments on a daily basis. Uh, to answer Mr. Bender's question about the $3,000, I'm probably the one that presents more of those to city council than anyone else. I, I don't um, find it to be burdensome to me. I think that presenting that $3,000 limit to council allows them to interact with us and make comments on and review what exactly we're purchasing in the projects that we are involved with. Um, the the $3,000, I mean, maybe a little bit more just because of the world nowadays, but it's, it's really not a burden and I think it presents it to council so they, they can comment and review what exactly is being, is being prepared and done. And the current operation of the service department, in my opinion, and service director is in alignment with section four of the charter. Okay. Thank, Thank you. you, Ron. And Ron, how long have you been service director here? Since January 1st, 2008. 
2008. Okay. I've been with the city since 2001. I would just like to say thank you for everything that you do. Rexville yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is beautiful as it is. Oh, thank you. You're here. Are you sure you didn't miss anything in yeah. your yeah. yeah. What else do you do? <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Um, are there any uh, comments on anything in this section, section four, on the director of public service? Questions, comments from anybody? I just have a question not related to the charter necessarily, but what determines what cemeteries you maintain? I'm sorry? What determines what cemeteries you maintain, such as, for example, the Fitzwater Cemetery is a city-owned property, correct? The Fitzwater Cemetery, we haven't, we don't do much. To, we do Bar Road, Riverview. I've obviously been to there many times. The Fitzwater Cemetery, not recently, but I, I, we don't, we just kind of let that one sit. But we, we do Bar Road, Riverview, and Highland. Mayor, what was what did you say? The Fitzwater Cemetery is not owned by the city. Oh, it's not. <coughs> you wanted the property. We need to. That was a private family uh, cemetery. Was never uh, accepted as a city or village cemetery. Okay, thank you, Mayor. Hey, Greg, I just have a general question. As I read through the directors, it seemed like the director of public service mm -hmm. was the only one that could employ discharge such assistance and employees as may from time to time be necessary for proper discharge of the director's duties. So, as I read through this doc, the charter, it seemed like the director of public service was the only one who could hire fire without oversight from council mayor. I don't know if that's correct or not, but that's what I read. No. The mayor has the other. That was also changed right. somewhat. I mean, oh, it says as approved by the mayor. Right. I see. As approved by the mayor. Mm -hmm. My bad, I'm sorry. Yeah, so that was added as approved by the mayor. Okay. Then again, service director was full-time mayor was, you know. Part-time, right. Any other questions, comments on that section? Ron, thank you very much. Thanks, Appreciate Ron. it. Thank you. Okay, um, moving on, we have section five, which is the uh, law director and law director Maddie. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, as you see by some of these charter sections, uh, the finance director, the director of public service, the director of public safety, there's quite a few paragraphs. When you go down to the law director, you'll see there's two short paragraphs. <laughs> Um, they do contain a lot. I don't know if I can talk to the service director. But let me put it to you this way. Um, my recent knowledge in working with the city, with my predecessor, and then myself, you've got 41 years that these two sections have worked, at least in my opinion, flawlessly. I am appointed by council. I can be removed by council, but yet I have authority to work with the mayor and with council and with every director in the city. Um, usually, usually that's purchasing, finance, police, fire, and building, but occasionally it's every other director. I, I, I consider myself a catcher's man because emails come to me every day, I'm drafting every day, I'm reviewing every day, and I'm in meetings 
usually every day, either by phone or in person. And it all depends on what our city directors have to deal with, what our council has to deal with, and or our mayor is dealing with, and I am there to assist them with any legal matter that they have. My client is the municipality, and as long as everyone is working in the best interest of the city, all of those people that I've mentioned are officers of the city that I represent. Our police, of course, are out on the street, and if there's an issue that involves our police, I'm there to defend them. And the same with the fire. Uh, council and the mayor also have issues where they need me as far as to defend and be a legal advisor. I get involved in all the claims and all the disputes and all the lawsuits if council authorizes me to do so. We do not use in the city special council other than bond council and other than some council that we've recently used for Ballard Acres as it relates to a financial arrangement called the TIF. But anything else that has an issue related to the law comes to me. Um, it works. I'm timely, and that's important to the directors and the mayor and the council. The best thing a law director can do is get back to whoever calls him or her the same day because they have issues on their desk that they need to make decisions that day. And if I'm not responsive to that, I won't be here. Um, I had a very, very long-term councilman once tell me as a law director, Mr. Law Director, when you get tired of reviewing agreements, retire because you can't have city employees relying on those agreements if you haven't read them. Um, we have quite a few agreements that come our way that are needed to be drafted or needed to be reviewed, and there are usually provisions which may not be in concert with law. That's my job. And that director will send that type of document to me. I will revise it and give that director my comments and they will go to whoever the vendor or the individual or the company we're dealing with and, and we, will, we will get it corrected. Um, no day is the same, which makes the job very interesting. I will say after 42 years of doing this, I still learn every day. Um, I just told council member Savage, I just read documentation, I don't know, maybe 40 pages of documentation on a new program that council is going to implement. I've never seen the program before, and it's a very good program. I did 41 years, I didn't even know it existed until it came to our council. So that type of work is very, very rewarding. I've always looked at this position as we can help 13, 14,000 people if we do it right. And we try to do it right every day that we have an issue. We try to do our research, we try to do our homework. And um, that's what I do on a daily basis. I try to be proactive to prevent lawsuits. We've had very few lawsuits in my time here. And that of course is how you want to run a business. You want to run a business to put your money in the streets and in the buildings that the community owns. 
Um, I'll answer any questions. The only requirement in, in the law director section is that you've been licensed to practice law for five years before you become law director and that you can participate in all the courts in the area. Um, I did have the opportunity um, to serve other communities and I do have the opportunity to serve other communities but I can tell you this, this community has the best, the best staff I've ever worked with in 41 years. They know their business, they know their job, they know their employees, they know when they need to call the law director and they don't call when they don't need to. They handle their jobs. And that's important to me because time is important to me to deal with the issues that we need to deal with. Uh, I try to be proactive in what we do and I try to be helpful in what we do. And um, I'll answer any questions that you have, but before you ask questions, let me just give you some of the results of my research. You had a couple of outstanding issues. One outstanding issue you had is a residency requirement that's been discussed for the mayor. Most of the communities in our area are what I, what I will call open to election to all. Most of the communities have from a six month to a two year requirement. And quite a few of them are six months or one year residency for someone to run for mayor. No community that I found has a four or five year requirement. Two communities have a three year requirement. So it's heavily weighted on a very short time of residency for someone to be qualified to run for mayor. Your question on justifiable excuse as far as in the council situation for absenteeism. No community defines, no community defines justifiable excuse. Black's Law Di Dictionary defines justifiable as reasonable and, as, and an, an excuse as a reason or an explanation. And I think it makes sense. Without a definition, counsel, if it takes an action and it's not reasonable and they do dismiss a member, there's a court procedure after that that can challenge that and that issue would be decided in that court decision. Fortunately, we've not had that issue with this city. I haven't had that issue, to be honest with you, in any other community because sometimes the council takes the appropriate action themselves. I think the third question you asked or the third question that came to you from a resident was, why don't we have the electors determine when a councilman is to be removed? Our charter says council has authority over its own members. You should know that there's no community in our area that does that. No community turns a removal of a councilman over to the electors. It makes sense that the body that the councilman or councilwoman belongs to regulates its own people for the reasons that you have in your code. So that should answer the three questions I believe, Mr. Chairman, that I was charged with at the last meeting to come back to you with the research, and that's the research that I have. That's correct. Thank you. If you have any questions about my department, I should mention that 
as you know, I am appointed by council. I have a prosecutor, uh, Lisa Sable, who is the prosecutor for the city. No connection to my office whatsoever. Um, she has an office here in Brecksville. She handles the misdemeanors, handles mayor's court for the city as the prosecutor. She also is appointed by council. That's our department. Is there any assistant law director? I know there used to be. I don't know if there's um, still one now. Lisa is coming on to that, at least as far as getting starting to get involved in that. But right now, you're looking at the law director and the assistant law director. So, uh, Dave, I have just a couple of questions and um, you know input from the. Uh, from the commission as well again a lot of uh, you know heard suggestions um, as far as you know should the law director position have a, a term limit on it or could it be an elected position I, I think there are some communities that elect their law director is that is that correct that is correct for 16 years I was elected every two years oh, okay. in Rocky River okay so that's that was my first position as a law director was in Rocky River mm -hmm. as an elected position right and again I'm not suggesting that we have that or have a term limit I'd be opposed to both of those but I just wanted to bring those up to the Commission as something that you know over the years and maybe recently has been you know asked about as far as or suggested that maybe there should be a you know, a, a limit of time on, on a law director, whether it be 10 years, 12 years, 15 years, whatever the number may be. Um, again, I don't, I would not suggest, you know, looking into that. That's just my opinion on it. But um, if others have other opposing views, that's certainly fine. I think that the serving on council, knowing the expertise of Mr. Maddie, prior to that, Mr. Grau, you don't replace that experience um, not only in practicing law but in knowing the community and you know how things function and the history of it and um, you know how how we want to deal with things I, I think is extremely important and I would not look to you know term somebody out on on that that's an issue that council can handle if they feel the person's not doing the job for them um, and that takes care of it on its own um, so again, that's just my, my opinion on it and um, wanted to just put it out there. If anyone has a differing opinion, let's hear it. Otherwise, we'll continue to ask questions of Mr. Maddie if you have any. Well, thank you, thank you, Mr. Chairman. But as with some of these other positions, I, I do consider that the position already has a term limit. I am at will. Right. And I am at will to the vote of seven council members. And um, I've seen law directors who do not do what they should do timely, who do not represent the city in an active manner, and I've seen law directors removed. Um, and it's just, we have a term limit. Council says, you're not doing the job, they'll look for somebody else. Right. Um, and so it exists without, without being stated in the charter. Mm -hmm. Correct. So I had one question or comment, I guess. One of the public comments was to create, pursuant to the charter, the position of an assistant law director, which I wasn't, I understand now that we sort of ha have had one in the past and currently have one in training or doing part of the job. So my question, I guess, two part, is there any benefit to having the position created in the charter that you see? And second, um, is there anything that prohibits you from having an assistant law director in the charter without, without it being named in the charter? There, uh 
Denise, there is nothing that prohibits having an assistant law director. If I cannot handle the volume of work for the community, I would immediately go to council and have council create that position by ordinance, but also give to council what I need to have help in so that we make sure we get somebody qualified in that position. If you look at some of the communities in Northeast Ohio, for the life of me, I do not know why some of them have a full-time law director, full-time assistant law directors, and not just one, more than one, paralegals at the cost of the community. That doesn't happen here. If I am doing work on what is necessary to be done, whether it's on my salary or hourly, we get the work done through my law firm. My law firm has four individuals who are in municipal practice one way or another, whether they be a law director, a prosecutor, an assistant law director, etc. So we have, I have help if I need it, but and I would have to approximate it, about 95 to 98 percent of the work that gets done for the city of Brexville is physically done by me. And that way there are no issues as far as who's responsible for what. If I have someone else assist me, I'm still responsible for the work. And usually I'm doing the work. So that can be done by charter. But I think if you put it in the charter, you may not need it. Right. If council has the right to do it at a certain time, then we may need that for a certain project or for certain um, work that needs to be done for the community at that time. Right. So if you needed to hire outside council, say we got sued and you needed to hire Jones Day to represent, that would be done by a resolution of council to hire right. Jones right. Day. And in, and in this city, Denise, the only time we've had to do that is to go out and hire Squire to assist us on some of the Valor Acre work because <coughs> they were the experts in the financial area that we needed help there. They also are the experts for us and very well qualified to do the bonding work for the city. Those are the two projects that are outside <coughs> of my reign. I work with <coughs> them, but they are doing the work on that and their firms are responsible for that. So there's already a process in place to handle <laughs> excess work yes. or when there is excess yes. work. If I may add to this, uh, if we are sued as a city uh, for whatever reason, usually our insurance company will either select Mr. Maddie to represent the city or they'll provide extra counsel. And that's been a great help for us over the years having that outside counsel come in and work with our law Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of this, because uh, there were some comments, I don't know if it was from the public or where, as far as like, you know, adding these positions, whether it be assistant finance director, assistant law director. I mean, those are things that, in my opinion, I mean, you don't want to make them permanent in the charter if they're not needed. Right. And it, it should be subject to, you know, counsel and or, you know, the finance director, the law director saying, hey, we need we need some help here we need more people and then let that director you know go and do that so um you know i, I think that that's being taken care of you know properly on that um any other comments questions law director section 
I have both a comment and a question. Mm -hmm. As I, you had mentioned that your firm specializes in municipal practice. Yes, members, certain members of my firm. Okay. Um, that's one thing that kind of jumped out at me when I was reading the law director section here, is that the words municipal experience don't appear. You know, it's very specific that the law director has to have practice for five years immediately prior to, but there's absolutely no mention of that law director having had municipal experience. Um, what are your thoughts on that? I don't know the number of communities that have a municipal law experience um, qualification, but I can check that. I do know some do. Um, the position of law director is better served with someone who has experience, um, but that would be that would be your call because you would be shortening the list of candidates if there is a position that's open, um, and it doesn't. It, it's not magic to do the law director position correctly, but it is work. Um, it does help to know, uh, to be honest with you, if you've got prior experience that perhaps the issue in this city is one that you faced five years ago or six years ago or 10 years ago or 15 years ago in another community um, or worked on another matter that's very similar. Um, so from a standpoint of qualifications, Eric, it's not a bad idea, but you're going to limit your pool. There's very few lawyers in Northeast Ohio that actually specialize in municipal law. Um, and, and I'm not so sure you would want to do that. The check there also, to be honest with you, is the same check on me. If someone came in and said they could do this or do that and they don't necessarily have the experience, council still has the right to remove at any stage. Well, yes, but unfortunately when you're talking legal counsel, poor advice can cost you a lot of money until you realize it's poor advice. <coughs> That's correct. That, that is correct. But that, that, that would be your call if you, if you wish. Yeah. And if you want, I can research to see if there is a year requirement or five years or what it, how, it, how it reads. Um, but that's up to you. And, and I, I will say this. I, I work uh, professionally with an attorney who recently got involved with the law direct, as a law director for a uh, community on the west side and is really enjoying it. His, you know, his background was more business transaction and real estate and has done a nice job with it. So I think if you put something in there too defined on the charter, the, to, to uh, Dave's point, you know, it's gonna limit your candidates, where I think as a council, if and when that day comes up that they want to interview and, and look at different attorneys for that role, they don't wanna be limited by that or, or restrained by that. I think it's better to keep it broad, and if you could find someone that has municipal experience, then that obviously makes them a better candidate. Mayor? On the uh, passing of Paul Brown, uh, council put out a job description, uh, I guess you'd call it a job description, public, uh, asking for candidates uh, to become law director, if you remember, Greg, and uh, they did put in there that they would prefer someone with municipal experience, and if you didn't have municipal experience, your knowledge of municipal law. So that... Yeah, it, it kind of is taken care of by the job. up here. Right. That issue's down here. Right. Uh, that's something like uh, all the qualifications for our, our employees. Uh, job description, 
qualifications are there. <coughs> you're very right on that, Mr. Bender, that you know, you're, you're limiting then your, your candidacies, uh, people that are able to, uh, to apply if you say you must have municipal experience. Just like when we went out for a recreation director, we didn't say you have to be a recreation director. We just said that we would prefer someone that has knowledge in working with athletics, so forth and so on. You get a variety of people that will come forward. So, Eric, if I may say, the Tammy Tabor is the one who gives me the ultimate compliment. When we do something complicated in the city, and we do something that's first time, or is, I don't, know, I don't want to say outside the box, but is using our authority under the charter, that first section that you read that says charter first, ordinances second, and state law third. So when we do something through council by ordinance, Tammy gets requests from other law directors asking under public records, may they have the resolution and the agreements that we drafted on that issue so they can use it in their community. <laughs> so, so there's another way for a law director to learn the job, and that is if they don't know how to do a project, they go to other communities where they read wherever they read it, that we've done something, and <coughs> come and get the documentation and then adapt it to their community. So there's always a source you can go to if okay. you don't have experience. But I think any qualified attorney who works hard should be able to be a law director if he or she applies themselves. Okay. Very good. Thank you, Doc. Thank you. That's a good question, Eric. I mean, it, it, it's you know, worth talking about and, and seeing it, so that, that's good stuff. Hey, Greg, general knowledge type question is, for anybody who's appointed or serves at the, the appointment of council, is it a simple majority to appoint and a simple majority to remove, or is it a, a five-sevenths? Simple majority. Simple majority. Okay. Thank mm -hmm. you. Yep. And if I recall, I think only one time when I was early on council, we had our city engineer, I think we moved on from that person um, to the current city engineer. So it does happen, but not, not often. Thank you. If, if I can just make a comment, sure. I mean, the, the, the hiring of talent is um, fabulous for the community, has been for a long time, and the process to bring someone on is rigorous. Um, we, you know, go through an extensive um, interview process, uh, city council interviews folks, the mayor, other folks within the administration. It is an extremely extensive process and one that's taken extremely seriously um, to make sure that we have qualified people. Um, so just because we don't have a you know very tight specific in the charter, it's an extensive process and rivals the private sector from my 30 years of business yeah. work. So and again, it sounds like most of it is hand. Those types of the specifics are handled in the job description and you know in, when you're advertising for that that spot, you can really kind of. Mm -hmm. customize it however you see fit so um, yeah so Dave if you could just if you could look into um, just for our knowledge the um, if any of these charters have any specific you know experience stuff in their in their section just Your will. to have that um, so that that'd be fine anything else for section 5 for the law director okay hearing none um, our last item uh, on the uh, Article 5 tonight is Section 6, which is the Clerk of Council section. And uh, Clerk of Council Tammy Tabor is here, and she has also given us a, a, a quick little write-up. And why don't you go ahead, Tammy? Uh, do you have a microphone there? I do okay. have a microphone. Great. 
Um, as the charter states, I am in charge of the records of city council, um, in charge of the minutes, agendas, records, resolutions, ordinances, um, anything that has to do with council's proceedings. I do interact with the mayor's office, primarily president of council, um, preparing agendas, working with all the department directors and the law director, um, bringing forth all of the documentation to put together the agendas, communicate with all council members. Um, I respond to public record requests, uh, keep track of all of the um, record retention, what's required by the Sunshine Law, uh, what can be disposed of, and when you can dispose of that. Most of council records are permanent. Their um, ordinances, resolutions, and minutes are permanent. We have, my predecessor began the um, work of creating permanent binders um, for all of council records, and they are kept um, in fireproof, water-resistant vaults throughout the city. Uh, throughout City Hall. Um, City of Braxville is very diligent in keeping the records and making sure that they're here for the rest of their life. Um, I coordinate with the mayor to make sure that anything he wants council to know for any meetings as well as department directors. Um, I work quite a bit with the law director. Um, he refers a lot. I ask a lot of his department for record retention. If there's a question of something that should not be released, some personal information or some, um, I don't know, confidential records. He'll advise me whether or not they get released. Um, and as far as I think that the charter is very short on what it says the clerk of council does. Um, the only things that I would suggest were would be to possibly put something in there where in the event, as we ran into with the pandemic, the state legislature allowed remote meetings over Zoom or Teams or something like that where council was allowed to vote. In the event that there was a, a flood, a fire, power outage here at City Hall, council would need to take action on specific issues and without having something in the charter would not be able to do that unless they were able to meet in chambers or at City Hall in person. So something allowing remote meetings, remote voting could be considered. Um, the only other thing that I thought might be um, considered would be a start time for committees. The City of Brexville works very well in having committee meetings regularly scheduled prior to their council meetings. 
if they started uh, committee meetings at a specified time and ran straight into council meetings, that may combine the length of a meeting. I don't know if that's worth considering or not. Um, and yes, I was one of the one of the employees that thought that maybe the human resources department could be separated and that is just as an employee not as council clerk and i'll answer any questions you have anyone have questions for the clerk denise i actually oh. have one of dave yeah, oh, yeah that was my um, was for dave too like our very first meeting did you say that state of ohio has done away with remote meetings um the the issue here eric is that there are some communities who by ordinance have chosen to have remote meetings and permitting those officials to, revote, to vote remotely. In the state code, now remember, your priority is charter first, ordinance is second, state law third. The Supreme Court has ruled in other areas where if a community has an ordinance or legislation but not a charter provision in a particular area, that doesn't rule over state law. So if you were considering, right now, our charter says council shall meet in the council chambers where we are today. If you change that by ordinance, it's my opinion that is not legal, that will not hold up with the current Supreme Court in Ohio. If you make a change by charter, it's my opinion that it would hold up. Okay, thank you. So there's a difference there because of the fact that it would be in a charter. And I'll give you an example of how that has applied in the past. In the past, some communities did not have in their charter that they could meet in executive session, even though the provision was in state law. The Supreme Court ruled you can't rely on state law. If it's not in the charter, you can't meet in executive session. When that occurred, a number of the communities in Northeast Ohio in the late 90s, all put charter amendments on and copied in the state law what you were allowed to meet in executive session for and put it in their charters. And our community is one of them. We have authority by charter to meet in executive session. But, but there's, there's, there's sometimes a difference and the final deciding decision on that kind of issue would be made at the Ohio Supreme Court if somebody challenged it. So you think that if our charter conflicted with state law, our charter would trump state law? Yes. Okay. Because that is truly a matter of local concern. That's not a statewide concern how Brexville Council would meet. Okay. That's a local concern which should be upheld by the courts. And there's no violation of the, us, the meeting not public? No. Okay. 
Well, the meeting will it is be public. public. Well, the meeting will be public how, because how? if it's done by Zoom, okay, everybody can participate, including the public. Where you run into problems, Denise, is when the public can't participate. Right. But we're talking about an emergency situation. You're going to get a Zoom link up for the city people in the emergency for council to meet. Yeah, I'm depends just... on how depends on how you define it. It can be emergency, can be pandemic, can be upon a vote of the council. It, it varies how you want to. If if you want to enter into that arena, we'd have to go and check and see what you know what language. Yeah, you I can see prefer. it very gray, thin lines yeah. going. Yeah. But there is a benefit to meeting in person because if the audience is in person, you can see the reaction of the audience or, or take information from the audience and the audience can see your reaction or your, your, your discussion right there. Now, supposedly by Zoom, that also happens. And sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. It, you know, it depended on how, the, who, how, how it was set up during the pandemic. But the actual state authority, other than for a county hospital, a county hospital still has the right to meet by Zoom, and the board of trustees of those hospitals can vote by Zoom. And that's specifically in Ohio Revised Code section, or chapter 339. It's the only entity that I know by state law that has that authority. So, uh, Tammy, thanks for bringing this up. I, I, I think it's important that we add to our discussion at a later time just in case something happens again that we, since we review our charter every 10 years, that it would be nice to have some kind of <clears throat> adequate provision in our charter that would allow the city to function normally in an unnormal circumstance. So, Tammy, thanks for that one. And um, I don't know about running consecutive meetings. I don't know how that, because it is very specific and I find it interesting that the charter is specific in the area of time and date that council meetings will take place versus some of the other areas that aren't included in the charter so the question would be is should the commission meetings or the council or what are they committee committee meetings happen and then um the council meeting happening afterwards or should eight o'clock on the second tuesday of First and third Tuesday. Thanks, Greg. <laughs> We've proven that I can't read. But uh, <laughs> should that even be in there as, as specific to a specific eight o'clock on those dates? I don't. I don't know the answer to it. I'm just. Well, following I, I mean, a little bit of history on the committee meeting things, um, and I'm sure the mayor, you know, he can speak to it as well. So the committee meetings now and in the recent years have been done all on the day of council mm -hmm. okay and you've got the six committees and each of those you know typically meet that's not how that that's up to council and how they want to do that in past each of the committee chair people would call their own committee meeting whenever they wanted to call it for those three members to come so you might if you were on finance building and grounds and streets and sidewalks, okay, if those were your three committees right. that you were on, you might have, in a week, you may have one of those meetings every single night, you know, one on Monday, one on Wednesday, one on Thursday, and then the following Tuesday, you have your regular council meeting. 
Now, for efficiencies, past councils have done basically a committee of the whole meeting where everyone's there, everyone's listening into the various committee meetings and offering input if they're asked on it um, to try and, you know, Minimize. have the council folks only there twice a month. Perfect. Okay, yeah. starting at 5 o'clock or 6 o'clock. So, you know, the agendas are set by the council president and the various committee chairs with, with the issues that they have. And it's really kind of up to the council president to try and figure out, like, okay, we've got a huge agenda tonight. Let's start at 5 o'clock. That gives us three hours to go through all these things if we have executive session and then to try and be on time at 8 o'clock. Um, it's rare when you go past 8 o'clock, like if a committee meeting is going on or there's an, usually an executive session, they would typically try and wrap the executive session saying, hey, we've got a meeting at 8. There's people out there or there's people watching. Let's cut this and we'll just come back and finish this up after the meeting. Okay? Yes. Uh, the executive session part of it so that the public isn't waiting very long past eight o'clock because that's when they're expecting to be out there so really the committee thing is kind of taken on its own animal so to speak um whether it's good bad or indifferent you know that's eye of the beholder mayor do you want to give any input on that or did that pretty much cover it or or council president redinger council I, does what council does. I knew you would say that <laughs> <laughs> so if i can offer up um you know, I've only done it one way, and it's proven to be, it's proven to work. As a um, member, non-member of committees now, I get to hear everything, right, in one spot. And so for those of the folks on council who are not on streets and sidewalks, they get to hear what's going on with streets and sidewalks, because they're going to have to vote on it. Um, the other, so that's just my vantage point um, from that perspective. Um, relative to the time, specific time of council meetings and set dates, I think that's important to have those set because that is how the administration then is going to um, know when they will come to council for the approval of the various items. So I don't think you want to change that um, because of that cadence that you need to make sure you can get, the administration can get done what they need to get done. And really, I mean, the charter only specifies a eight o'clock on January 2nd and then that they meet twice in a month. And that's up to council to decide. Now, it's always traditionally been the first and third Tuesday, but that's not specifically listed. It has to be the first and third Tuesday of every month in the charter. OK, so that that's up to council to decide. Chairman, if I may, I have a quick comment. Um, I agree with um, what you've what you've both shared and i guess i would just add it's very efficient mm -hmm. um in my um short time short time on council in general we manage our time very well there are not um extremely long gaps or where we feel a time pressure i think that there's typically a matter of you know between 20 and 30 minutes between meetings and it's 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 very efficient um, and it does allow for good visibility to all the different things that are going on. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah. And I guess, too, it gives you a small break if you wrap up your committee meetings mm -hmm. after two and a half hours. You have at least a 30-minute to go to yes. And, I mean, and there are times and certain things where, you know, you may have additional 
committee meetings that are going to be need to be held throughout the month. Um, when we had the flooding in 2006, the utilities committee, they were meeting, we were meeting, you know, multiple times a month in addition to council night. Um, and again, whether the other members of council outside of the three that are on a particular committee want to come or not, that that's up to them. I mean, they normally do, but you know, certainly they're not required to be there since it is just a specific committee that is calling that meeting. But as um, Councilperson Savage said, it, it it is nice when you're there and you're listening to all of the committees, um, even the ones that you're not a part of, because they may have something that they're going to bring right. to council later that evening, um, as opposed to you know maybe meeting on a Monday where you couldn't make it, and now the first time you're hearing of it is sitting up here at the regular council meeting. So that's kind of why council over the years has kind of morphed into no, I doing think it that way. I think it's brilliant to cut down the number of days that you're involved and to to, to get what did you call it a, a committee of the whole mm -hmm. as so that everybody knows what's going on mm -hmm. so i yeah i mean th there are some i mean some would say that you know maybe some of the topics get shortchanged a little bit because you're trying to keep going as opposed to how it was done you know many many years ago but again if there's additional time that's needed on a topic you just call a different meeting and go from there so. I think the efficiency also, as you think about people who would be willing and able to run for city council mm -hmm. that have, you know, other work demands, children, sports, right, to say, okay, I'm going to be out of pocket these two nights of the month. It's a lot more palatable than, you know, these nine <laughs> or whatever, right. how many days per month, you know, so. No question. I have a quick question on back to the virtual side. Do you see, like, as council president, any anything that would you would say against having a clause that may be applied? Again, I know we have to define it better, but say it was emergency or weather or pandemic. What are the downsides of having the virtual option, as long as it's not regular, to your point, that, you know, your regular ones you want to have in person so the community can be there, you can be there together. But is there anything... Well, I think the law director um, hit on the points that are the downside of not being in person, and we went through this with the pandemic, is you're just not getting, you, you don't have the, the interaction of being with each other in a room and, and sure. really, you know, um, being able to manage, you know, what's going on right in the room. I, I <clears throat> we did our best during the pandemic. It wasn't, you know, it, it was, we, we did what we could. Um, and I would um, really only be in the favor of this if it was the exception, not the rule. I think, right. you know, there's just too much that gets lost for interpretation. You don't understand, um, you know, the way someone's communicating. And, and you'd lose translation if you're not in person. I guess that would just be my, my, um, my opinion. Um, you know, I, I, I think that perhaps it's something that, I mean, I jotted it down as something that maybe we circle back to when we get back around to once we finish going through the charter and listing that back into the council uh, section as far as, you know, is there wording that maybe we would want to consider, you know, and again, being very specific as far as when that type of uh, 
setup would be done whether you know a, a true emergency it can't be like oh you know i'm running late for work today i'll just do it from my office like that that's out you're just going to be absent that day right um right. but it would have to be something like the clerk said you know power's out or well i guess then you'd have issues too with doing <laughs> it that, but um you know pandemic related or you know who knows uh, natural catastrophe happen, who knows what something along those lines and you know dave maybe can find language that maybe other communities have in place um, to give us a little bit of guidance if that's something that we feel is necessary or not or we just wait until you know they deal with it how they dealt with the pandemic you know the state allows it or however it was approved is that how it was approved the state allowed that state allowed it for a temporary time and then extended that. yeah and and jill your question is well taken also for boards and commissions mm -hmm. it's a little different setting for a board or commission like planning commission or, or or board of zoning appeals because in those matters if you're going to do it virtually you have to be able to have a system where the public can see what the plans are because normally there's plans for whatever is being developed and they have to be able to see and participate in discussion about those plans whereas at council it's usually agreements that are attached to a piece of legislation which Tammy can put on the website so people would know, you know, physically what's being discussed. But on the Planning Commission and the BZA, it's a little different setting. So you've got to be able to make sure that you have the ability to do that at those meetings. Thank you. Any other comments or questions on uh, the clerk of council section. I just have one more question for Tammy and Tammy it's up to you but I didn't know if you wanted to provide any more color on your third point which was as an employee of the city of Brexville related to the human services. No. Human resources. Human resources. Gosh. Resources. Um, no it was just um, something it just as an employee that um, there's a lot of I shouldn't say a lot. There's four people that are cross-trained. If you, if you go in there with an issue or want to discuss something, just that one person doesn't know what you're discussing, the other members of the department also have access to that information. And it may be that that's how it is everywhere. I don't know. So it, it's nothing major. It's, I love working here and I love working with council. Um, this is probably the best run city that I've ever been involved with. Uh, municipality, I worked for a township for 20 years before this. Um, the way the administration works here is probably the best that I've seen as well as any of the um, directors law director it's very nice to work here and very nice to work with council and for those who didn't know greg and laura were both on the committee that hired me <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. thank you okay i have a quick question so we've heard from the directors which i see as our leadership of the city um, what succession planning, you know, we have experts that are in these positions that have been in there for a very long time and looking ahead and contingency planning, that's kind of how I view things. How have transitions been in the past and how do we plan for future transitions? Go ahead, Mayor. In each uh, department, uh, we have a backup for someone 
is doing a job, someone else learns that job. So when that person's on vacation or ill, that person can fill in. So if our person doing payroll is not here tomorrow, suddenly something happens and they can't be here, and it's time to send the checks to them, somebody knows how to do that. We also keep conversations going about someone's longevity, you know, if someone's getting ready to retire, um, we start looking within that department. If there's somebody there, they may fill that job or if we're gonna have to go out, outside and find somebody. But the, the big thing here is the, is the cross-training and the, the cooperation that everyone affords each other is rather tremendous. Uh, something happens and goes wrong, everybody goes to that office and starts to deal with it. If we need help, everyone's there to, to fill in. And I think you've seen that happen with, with an illness and there's always someone stepping forward. So at the same time, although we don't have many changes, uh, you know, generational changes, uh, someone's here 40 years, 30 years, um, someone lets us know that they're leaving or has said they're leaving, you know, again, you try to groom someone for that position. If not, you start looking to the outside. Um, I, I guess that's the best way I can explain that to you. Uh, we do have an arduous process of going through and looking at employees that we are hiring here. And it's not one person who sits down and says, all right, let's hire this person. We put it through the system. Everybody gets a little shot to talk to that person and we find out something Laura? It, it is um, the highest level of teamwork that happens in the community, in the administration, and with the, the, all the folks that work for the community. Um, so I think, you know, while there might not be, there's a broad, broad base. I mean, it's a small, even though we talked about, you know, 150 plus, 160 plus 200 employees, um, those 150 employees, everybody's known very well at the administration, you know, at the director level, and everybody works very closely together. And so I think um, I've seen in my 10 years, you know, generally speaking, we there's backfill already starts well in advance of when we know um, that folks are on the way out. I mean, I guess the easiest transitions that take place and probably some of the most important are in the police and fire department and that's you know a very rigorous process but because of the re retirement you know time frame and the years of longevity that are very is formulaic the right word formulaic you have a pretty forward look with those spots so i think you know, not that all the all the employees aren't crucial, but in the crucial spots, you have the ability to look forward and know what you're dealing with. Thank you. Thank you. Anything else for that last section, section six? Okay, hearing none. Great. Okay, uh, next on the agenda is just the other matters deemed appropriate in our commission roundtable. Um, 
before I give uh, just a quick little update on what we've done tonight and what I've added to the list and a couple other things that we need to set for the future, are there any um, other items right now that anybody on the commission wants to add or comment on or have me add to my uh, agenda list for future things uh, other than what I've kind of jotted out so far? I just wanted to note that if anybody read that article from cleveland.com on Broadview Heights, I thought it was interesting that two in particular that's going to be on the charter for them in November is increasing the mayor's residency requirement to four years. So, and now with that information from you, that's a high number um, comparatively, and that they're just also doing the cleanup mm -hmm. charter amendments, you know, giving permission to that. So I thought that was a timely and interesting article and we'll get to see what Broadview Heights decides before we have to take <laughs> action too as yep. to see yeah. test they're testing the water especially on the residency requirement in my opinion so we'll see mm -hmm. we're not too different of community yes. communities exactly exactly um, anybody else have any oh Dave go ahead uh, mr. chairman uh, council president Redinger pointed out two typos in the um, charter on the sections that we reviewed tonight, so I have them down. Right. Depending upon what you all do as far as if you're going to do that type of amendment. And I apologize to the commission because on your justifiable excuse issue, I had a normal dictionary definition set aside, and I also had Black dic Black's dic Dictionary, which is the legal dictionary that we should follow. I gave you the wrong dictionary. <laughs> so just for the just for the record, Tammy, Justifiable under Black's Law Dictionary means rightful, defensible, warranted, or sanctioned by law that which can be shown to be sustained by law. That makes sense. Excuse is a reason alleged for doing or not doing a thing. So your record should reflect that. With those kind of definitions, you can see if something is happening, it should be able to be defined and action taken on it. And I, if you could correct that, Tammy, I apologize, but I was into too many dictionaries. <laughs> okay. And Greg, I think because of what Mr. Matty brought up is we do have that piece of mm -hmm. generalized corrections of the charter because there's just a bunch of yeah, yeah. clerical errors, typos, right. knowing that some of this was created on a typewriter versus <laughs> right. a computer. Yeah, and Mr. Maddie's presented us or has for the commission, um, you know, a number of other communities and language and things like that. And those things we'll be bringing back, you know, as we start to review the, the points uh, and decide, you know, do we want to make changes? What, what language do we want to put forward if we're going to do that? And we'll use that document, which has several different options to kind of choose from and, and talk about so perfect probably as we get into january's meetings that's when those types of discussions will start happening okay um i just wanted to then reiterate um you know again we have a, a couple of items from previous things as far as um, future items that we'll end up discussing once we've gone through the through the charter and all of its sections um, i am keeping the list here um, you know again we've got a couple of items under the uh, the mayor section on article three um, both his uh, the residency qualifications and then the gender neutral and typos and numbering um, language under under that for all of the charter and then we've got um, 
the items under Article 4 for the council, which had the residency uh, discussion, uh, the removal by the electorate, the justifiable excuse, and then tonight we added the um, emergency meeting uh, discussion on you know Zoom or conference calls, whatever. Um, and then uh, from tonight, uh, under Article 5, Section 1, um, to uh, just a reminder again to maybe go back review the 2013 minutes regarding the uh, paragraph two in section one on the general provisions and then um, you know whether there's discussion in the future to be had as far as um, you know an, an HR uh, section to the charter or if that's something that um, we feel maybe just you know that should be left to council to decide if they want to do that and then uh, the last item was here in um, section five the um, experience section of the uh, law director as far as municipal law and whatnot and mr. Maddie would look into that as well so and again I think we've talked about that but you know I'm just jotting those things down as, as items to circle back on when it's time to circle back on them um, the last couple of things then um, we do need to set our uh, next uh, couple of meetings here for November and December and also uh, just so that you know kind of the game plan um, the thought was uh, the next meeting in November will go over the final sections here of article 5 which is section 7 through 11 which is our boards and commissions um, and I would definitely look into the meeting minutes from some of the previous um, charter reviews as pertains the Board of Zoning Appeals. Um, that will be uh, an item I'm sure that will be discussed. Um, if it's not, I know I will be bringing it up. Um, and then uh, the next meeting, I, the thought was we would hit Article 6 which is our purchasing section and then the meeting in december would be the remaining articles article 7 through 12 um, and I, I think we'd be able to handle all of those in in one meeting um, so what i'd like to do is to look we had some dates here in uh, november we had a uh, as potential ones was november 2nd wednesday november 2nd and Tuesday, November 29th, both at 6.30 here at City Hall. Um, does anybody have any conflicts with those dates uh, at this point? That would be, again, November 2nd and November 29th. I think they mostly matched up with most everybody. I, I think I should be able to do both of those. Um, the 29th, I may have a conflict. Though. Okay. Again, it, you know, if, if if one or two of us have to miss, you know, that that's totally fine. Um, so okay, so we'll look. Uh, still, we'll we'll keep the November second and the November 29th. Um, the one that I would maybe consider changing um, was this next one, which we had tentatively listed as Wednesday, December seventh. Um, as I had mentioned. Uh, in our first meeting, I think it might be important to have a weekend meeting just in case the public needs to be here on a, on a weekend if they can't make the evening ones. Um, and I know December's we're you know getting into holiday season, you know those weekends <laughs> become less and less possible. So I was looking at maybe December 3rd um, at 10 a.m or December 10th at 10 a.m. Um, would any of those 
not work for vast majority of people. Tenth would be better. Tenth would be right. better. Anybody else have any? I'll be Okay. Yeah, the third would be better, but I kind of agree with. I think December's a horrible idea to do a Saturday meeting. Yeah. Okay. I just, I mean, I I just think December's it's hard to do anything in December, um, and I think that I definitely agree we need to have mm -hmm. a Saturday meeting. I just think people are more bored in January. Could we look <laughs> at like? But we could do it. I mean, we could do it in January. I just I was just throwing out yeah, one. Yeah, I'm, I'm just I just think December would be okay. Both from our standpoint as well as the residents too. I think they might be. Yeah, no, that's busy. fine. Yeah. Uh, I'm so, free those Decembers. Maybe, maybe. This no, that's not. fine. We can <laughs> we can move into we can do it in in a January. That's fine, and and maybe that'd be better to do once we've gone through the charter mm -hmm. and those topics and you know be circulated and and we can t start discussing that. So if um, Wednesday, December seventh was the other date that was uh, listed as one that the vast majority of folks, uh, when they turned in, were were free. Um, is that one okay? Good. Okay. So let's uh, plan on those three for right now. So Wednesday, November second, Tuesday, November twenty ninth, and Wednesday, December seventh, all at six thirty here uh, at City Hall. And um, again, we'll get the agendas out uh, here very soon, and we'll get the invites out to the boards and commission uh, chairs that are um, directly noted here in the in the charter. So hopefully, they can all make the next meeting, or they'll provide us something in writing if they uh, if they cannot. Um, does anybody else have any questions, comments, anything else you want to add to the mix before we adjourn? Okay. Hearing none. Um, any comments from the public? Obviously, Miss. Yes, like thank everyone <laughs> for being here and, and doing this. This is great to, to listen to all this discussion. Okay. That was Councilperson Stuckey, for those who don't know. So, thank you for uh, attending. Um, with that, I will make a motion to adjourn. Do I hear second? Second, second by Golic. Uh, discussion? Roll call. Bardos? Yes. Bender? Yes. Berlin? Yes. Golic? Yes. Lesh? Yes. Mansfield? Yes. Church? Yes. Scaljack? Yes. Vita Clough? Yes. Thank you. Meeting adjourned. <laughs> <laughs>